0: we we'll also have a string ensemble from our youngest ones and less experienced right on up, and brass special in our children's choir. And so we're looking forward to a wonderful time tonight. I trust it'll be just another occasion for us to worship the Lord uh, through music. And then also, it's a wonderful time for outreach. And so I know some of you have already been inviting neighbors and passing out the word. uh, But there's still time. So even use this afternoon as the Lord brings somebody to your mind right now. um, Or you go home and you run into a neighbor. Extend the invitation. You don't know what the Lord could do. This is a great season of the year to reach out. And So I trust that you'll do that and be praying about it. And uh, we're looking forward to that this evening. Just a reminder to regular folks as well. If you bring a platter of cookies, we're looking forward to a, a light reception after the program tonight. If you would turn us through in your Bibles to the Gospel of John chapter 1. John chapter 1, and we've spent this past month in the first 13 verses of this chapter up to this point. And the title of our series has been The Foundations of the Christmas Story. But what we're looking at is not simply the foundation of the Christmas story, but the foundation of all of Christianity. Uh, We've just finished singing together that well-known carol, What Child Is This? And various passages of the scriptures, you know, give at least partial answers to that question. Uh, The Gospel of Matthew provides that answer that the carol did as we sang when it declares this, this is Christ the what? This is Christ the King, and Matthew declares that perhaps more than any other book in our New Testament in particular. And, and without the, you know, detracting at all from the declaration of that truth, I would just say this, that other babies have been born as the recognized heir to a throne. And we really need what's in John's gospel for us to understand the significance of him being Christ the King. He's in a category that is all his own. And that truth is declared here in chapter 1. The child, of course, is not only a king, but he is the Savior. An angel declared that Mary's child, when it was still in the womb, should be called Jesus. Or Jehovah saves is the Hebrew expression. And he shall save his people from their sins. And you know that without reservation or any apology, we do proclaim that Jesus is the one and only exclusive Savior from sin. But even that identity and that role as Savior is rooted in the foundation that is laid here in in John chapter 1. If He is not who He's declared to be in the opening words of this gospel, there is no Savior. John, though, declares that he is a one of a kind, Savior and King, and He is God's anointed Son. I want us just to begin again in verse number one. In the opening words of this gospel, we read that He is the eternal God. In the beginning was the Word. We've noted it several times, but but He was already in existence. When time as we know it began to be marked. He predates time. Which is to say. He's again. He's eternal. He was already existing. And the second phrase says. And the word was. Notice those next two words. With God. So the eternal word. Can be distinguished in some respects. From God the Father. You could talk about the word. Being with God. But as you. Talk about them in distinction. They have been with each other for all eternity. Uh, uh, They have had an unbroken relationship of fellowship. And then that third expression, this eternal one who's been with God in the last phrase of verse 1, and the word was... And no qualifying article, remember, the word was God. His essence is divinity, deity. He is the eternal God. And as such, in verse number 3, he is the creator of all things. All things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. And we've continued to explore the ramifications of those declarations down through verse 13. That these truths are foundational to this child. What child is this? These truths are foundational to that child being the, the one-of-a-kind Savior and King. And I want to suggest to you this morning that, again, while those declarations are foundational, and without them there would be no real significance to the Christmas story, if those declarations are all we knew of this eternal Creator God we would have no ability to really know him personally. We would have no ability to enter into a relationship with him. We could know of him. um, We we could know enough even to stand in awe of him as the supreme being, the, the supreme force in the universe. We we could know some of his transcendent attributes, like Paul says in Romans chapter one, from the creation of the world, the things that we see, the invisible things of him are, are known, even his eternal power and Godhead. So we could from creation be able to say that there's a creator out there who made all of it, who exists outside of it. We could stand in awe of him. But the answer is, the the question is, how can I know him? I know that I have to answer to him, but how can I know this supreme being? And and the fact is that each of these phrases in verse 1 pushes us beyond our intellectual comprehension. And I feel that even as I'm reviewing them with us this morning and as we've been spending time here, that, you know, you start to talk about in the beginning was this already existing person. And if you try to process that, your mind has difficulty. We're intrigued by beginnings, right? I mean, we like to find out more of the roots of our family. You know, we, we pursue the, the sources of rivers. We want to know where movement started. How did that country begin? We're fascinated with that. But try to think of someone who has existed outside of time. Bringing time and everything related to it into existence. Just again, try to think of the existence of anything outside of time. I just can't, and there are times, even this week where I was back into this, where I almost get paralyzed <laughs> attempting to do it. Thinking about eternity. It, it didn't begin, it doesn't end. What? Everything has a starting place, and it seems an ending place, and... And yet, this one pre existed at all. He's eternal. Try to think about the second expression. The Word, in that second phrase, was with God. Now, I mean, I get the concept of words. They're, they introduce ourselves, you know, and express ourselves. But, but these phrases, the expression, the Word as a person, the Word is a person. He's an eternal person. He's a manifestation of God. But he is somehow distinct from God. And it's clear that, that we are trying to we're trying to use finite terms, our vocabulary, that to communicate infinite meaning. And again, my finite mind just can't process it all. And then I add to that expression that the, the, the last one, the word is God. Okay, now I'm talking about two persons, and we know from the rest of the scripture that the Godhead is not two persons, but how many? Three. We're talking about, we are talking about Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and they all three are three distinct persons, and yet the three persons are one God. And there's no parallel to that in human existence or in all of creation. There's nowhere else I can go to consider an example that comes anywhere close to it. And honestly, as I consider that, and I'm spending some time to belabor it this morning, because if I consider all of that, and that's all I knew, it could actually leave me with fear That God and the universe and all that exists in it is just somehow a great unknown and it's going to remain an unexplainable puzzle to me. There's something out there. There's a supreme being. There's a supreme force. There's got to be more than what I get. But I don't know how I'm ever going to know it. And it's just this puzzle. And do you know there are many people that if they actually confess what they're really thinking about it all, that's the way it is. There's got to be a God, there's some kind of supreme being, got to be something going on that I don't know, but I don't know how I would ever get a handle on it. And so I just try to make my way through this life, enjoy it to the best, and hope for whatever comes after this. That That is good. And this is where the new territory in verse 14 comes into the picture and becomes so helpful to us. Notice in verse 14 where we already read earlier in the service, we read now that the word (coughs) that was under discussion back in verse 1, the word was made flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld his glory the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And you can see right in your text, as you have it in your hand, a parenthesis in the middle of verse number 14. But I want to show you from one vantage point that all of verses 2 through 13 are something of a parenthesis. Now, you're going to have to really be looking in your Bibles this morning in the next few minutes. But I'm going to read... Verse 1, I'm going to skip over verses 2 through 13. I'm going to read right into verse 14. And for emphasis, I'm going to leave out the parentheses even in verse 14. All right, hopefully you'll get that. Notice verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Now verse 14, and the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us, full of grace and truth. I'm going to do that one more time for those of us that are just catching up, all right? (laughs) Look at it again. And that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. That Word is full of grace and truth. When you start to analyze the connections between those two verses, it actually appears that you can you can really kind of diagnose things a little more specifically there are three couplets or we might say sets or pairs of statements so keep looking there look at verse one okay in the beginning was the word now look at verse 14 and the word was made flesh all right, now go back to verse 1 and the second phrase. The Word was with God. And now in verse 14, the second phrase, the Word did what? The Word dwelt among us. Now, verse 1, the third phrase, and the Word was God. Now look right at the end of verse 14. This God is full of what? He is full of grace and truth. I think you can see that in each one of these couplets, if you will, the first phrase involves the infinite, eternal, the transcendent. I mean, way up there, surpassing all of existence. For us, very difficult to understand and comprehend. But the second phrase involves that infinite, eternal, transcendent one passing into my world. Passing into the imminent, the right here, where I have opportunity now to understand and to know and to comprehend. It, it is an important foundation. That I know that Jesus is eternal. But if I'm going to know him. It is absolutely important that he became flesh. The, the big theological word in verse number 14 to describe this. Is the incarnation. Right the, the word became Flesh. Incarnation. Um, The the word means embodied in flesh or taking on flesh. Um, Perhaps you have, (coughs) excuse me, heard of chili con carne. Right? The, The con carne part is really important to some at least because that is referring to the what? That is chili with meat. Right? Typically with beef. And, and there are certain dishes like chili or, or spaghetti where sometimes cooks regretfully leave out the best part, which is the what? <laughs> which is the meat, all right? We, I remember inviting a single man, middle-aged single man who had never married, over to our house. And um, <clears throat> my wife said, invite him over, let him know we're having spaghetti. I did, and... <laughs> You would think a single guy, never married, would just be glad for anybody cooking him anything. But I said, hey, you're welcome to come over. We're having spaghetti. And without hesitation, he said, well, Pastor, are there going to be meatballs? (laughs) And the way he asked it made it sound like, you know, spaghetti without meatballs isn't even worth it. (laughs) And maybe you feel that way about spaghetti or the chili, you know. The, The meat is important. All right? that's, what's at, that's what is at the root of this word. When Jesus was conceived in the womb of Mary, he became every bit the same fleshy, meaty, physical existence as any baby you've ever seen. And he lived the same fleshy, meaty, physical existence that any man you've ever observed has lived. He experienced hunger, and thirst, and fatigue, and he suffered pain in the flesh, just like you and I suffer pain in the flesh. This is infinite, eternal God passing into the finite with the same flesh and blood body that you and I have. The second phrase, the word was, with God, in verse number one. But now in verse number 14, the word dwelt among us. And that's telling us that when he became man, flesh and blood man, he didn't live aloof. He didn't live isolated from other men. So the word wasn't a hermit when he came here. He didn't live as a recluse in some kind of solitary existence. And, And that phrase actually, when it says he dwelt among us, The word for dwelling is the same word that was used to refer to the tabernacle in the Old Testament. Or to just kind of commonly in everyday usage, it would have meant to pitching a tent. And and some prefer to kind of focus in on the connections between Jesus and what the Old Testament tabernacle was pointing to. And I understand those considerations. I don't think there's something wrong with them in general. But in this context, I lean more towards the emphasis on the idea of of the fact that Jesus pitched his tent among men. That is, for 33 and a half years, he lived right here on this earth where men live. He didn't just appear for a few days. Right? He didn't appear like you know a phantom or a ghost and just kind of blow in and blow out. For 33 and a half years, he lived, he lived right in the midst of a family. There were four brothers and sisters. He lived in the midst of friends and a community. We know who his aunt and uncle are, we know who his cousin is. He lived in, in the midst of comrades. And, and later of disciples, every bit of his human life on this earth was observed by all that would be the normal observers of any man's life. The infinite, eternal God took on flesh. The one who, from all eternity, was with God in heaven, came and pitched his tent, and he lived right where you and I live. With all the observers that observe our life. And in this, the observation of this fleshly human life, John in the last phrase of verse number 14 says that what they were able to observe was a life full of what? I know we've seen it. But it was a life full of grace and truth. And when men, listen, when men learn of the grace and truth that is in Jesus, they are learning about who God and what God is like. Jesus is really the unveiling of God. The, the creator, the supreme being, the eternal one who exists outside of it, the one I know who I have to answer to, but the one I struggle to really know what is he like as a person. If you want to know what he's like as a person, look at Jesus. He took on flesh, meaty, physical body. And he lived right in the midst of a community. And he was able to be observed. And when people observed him, they saw one who was full of grace and truth. The attractiveness of his grace isn't a gracious Kind, gentle, considerate person. So attractive. The the attractiveness of his grace, even if I could say it this way, the awfulness or the awesomeness of his truth and integrity. All of these are revelations to men of what God is like. In the life of Jesus, we are able to Learn of a God who is full of tenderness, who is full of gentleness, who is full of pity, who is full of compassion. We learn of winsomeness and attractiveness that made made him dear to children, that made him precious to needy ones. No one else would give them the time of day, but they kept calling out to him because they knew in him something unique. Made him precious to sinners who thought they'd find mercy in him. Look again on his compassion to the afflicted, of his tenderness to those in need. He is full of grace. But he is also full of what? He's full of truth. He was certainly capable of, of anger and severity and the pronouncement of woe on those who would remain in unbelief and rebellion and, and would lead others down paths of error for their own gain. He, he declared that there was a wide gate and a broad path that leads to destruction and many are on it and that there is a narrow gate and a straight path that leads to eternal life and few there are that find it and that that gate isn't hard because of what man has to do to earn his way to heaven but because man has to admit he is self-willed and he has to humble himself that way is hard because Jesus said men love darkness rather than light because they're what? Their deeds are evil. It's hard because Jesus said men love the praise of men more than the praise of God. It's hard because, again, Jesus said, they that are whole have no need of a, of a physician. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. He declared that he is the one source of a relationship with the Father. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man cometh unto the Father but by me. He is full of grace, and he is full of truth. And when you think of those two qualities in Jesus, the grace and the truth, don't think of them in, in isolation, but think of them as coming together in the man, Jesus Christ. The, the, the life and teaching of Jesus was not primarily, it certainly was not only of grace. And the life and teaching of Jesus was not a manifestation primarily, and and again, definitely not only of truth. But the revelation of, of Jesus is the combination of grace and truth. In one, out of his grace, came the provision for our sin to be paid for out of his truth came the righteousness of the redemption that is in Jesus grace will not act out i'm sorry will not act outside of truth the moment you deny truth you deny grace in Jesus we see both of these qualities in unique excellence. In the gospel of Jesus, we see grace and truth in just a blazing glory. And in the incarnation and the the life and ministry of Jesus, there is this unveiling of God so that you and I have the opportunity to personally know. Isn't this amazing? You and I have the opportunity to personally know the infinite transcendent eternal god of the universe i one time had opportunity standing on the sideline of a youth football game i was coaching one of our assistant coaches gotten to know a little bit over the course of the season our sons were out there playing Uh, thankfully we were far ahead and So, it was toward the end of the season, and he said, my son has had such a great experience with you. Is there something I can do for you? And we were talking. He said, how about you and your boys? I'll get you tickets to a Green Bay Packers football game. And I said, I would love that. But we are busy on Sundays. And he said, oh, yeah, what am I thinking? (coughs) And a little while later, he says, all right, how about... Sunday night I'll get you tickets to a Sunday night game You mentioned a date coming up And I said well we actually have an evening Service And he said oh you're really Hung aren't you (laughs) And I said I don't See it that way at all I said "I, I Absolutely love what I'm doing And he said I guess you'd have to love It how'd you get into that anyway And I had the opportunity to tell him That from the time I was a little boy, I learned of Jesus dying on the cross for my sin. (laughs) And that I had a personal decision to make. I gave him my testimony. And then I said, and you know what? It was wonderful because it just came out. I just said, I have had the joy all of my life of being able to walk in the light of the truth. (laughs) And not have to stumble around in the dark trying to make life work. And then I asked him about his own religious background, and he literally launched into some of the terms I've said here today. He said, well, I don't know what you'd call me, maybe a Buddhist, and uh, he mentioned some other things. He said, I I, I know there's some supreme being that's out there. I don't know what you would call him, or it, or whatever. That's his background. And this is why jesus came so that none of us has to just say there's a supreme being and i know there's something out there but isn't it wonderful that there are so many here that you don't just know about god you know him personally the infinite eternal creator transcendent god You know because you talk with him and you walk with him and you have fellowship with him and you have the opportunity to do that because the word became flesh and dwelt and he reveals the God who's full of grace and truth. In the incarnation of Jesus Christ, I have assurance that there is one that is touched with the feelings of my present infirmities Because he suffered the same trials of humanity as I do. And because he is a man, he can feel with us. But because he is the God-man, he can supply all I need in my trial. In the incarnation of Christ, I have a perfect pattern and example for daily living. Because he is God, that pattern is perfect. because he is a man, I can look to him for strength uh, to follow him. Listen, if he was an angel, if he was a spirit, I couldn't begin to copy him. But as a man, I have a standard to walk, even as he walked. In the incarnation of Christ, I, I see for my own mortal existence in this body a true dignity. I have a motivation even not to defile this body, which is the temple of the Holy Ghost in my life through sin. As weak and whatever you want to describe your body, creaking, limited. As weak as it may be, it's still a body that Jesus was not ashamed to take on as his own. In the incarnation of Christ, and in particular as I think of His death and His burial and resurrection of the flesh and blood, eternal Son of God. The Apostle Paul wrote that we have the pledge of a resurrection and transformation of our own bodies to fit an eternal life in heaven. There is rich, rich treasure. And we can just go on in the eternal, creator, infinite, transcendent God becoming man and pitching His tent and manifesting to us the one who is full of grace and truth. How should we respond to this? We, we ought to respond, first of all, just by thanking God that he has made himself known to you in Christ. Thank you for revealing your awesomeness in creation. But thank you for making yourself personally known in Jesus Christ. Then if you have never entered into a personal relationship with him through faith in the one who is grace and truth the invitation is come to him today receive him today open your bible day by day sit under the preaching and teaching of an open bible where you can learn more and more of him commune with him fellowship with him walk with him he came not just to give us a heartwarming sentimental story at christmas He came so that you and I can know the infinite transcendent creator God as our own Savior and Lord and King and friend so that we could know him. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? And I want to just give you, again, an opportunity in your own words, a few moments of silent reflection to thank God. For making himself known to you in Christ. And if anybody's here aloof from him yet. You don't personally know the one who is full of grace and truth. Cry out to him today. To save you and make you his. And claim him as your own. And maybe even there's. A response that needs to take place in the heart of a true believer. But you've just been kind of living this life day by day. Assuming his existence and maybe even presuming on his existence. But not walking in fellowship with him and, and just learning more of him and even basking more and more. in the relationship with the one who is grace unrivaled and truth unrivaled. Lord, you've done all this for me to know you. Forgive me for not pursuing that personal fellowship, communion with you. Our heavenly Father, we confess in words we've just communicated even that we fear that so often we we do assume your existence, we acknowledge it, we believe it, and we really presume on it. And at key times we we return to it. And yet we fear that far too often we know so little of the nurturing of that personal relationship of fellowship and communion with you. And we just want to ask you to forgive us. We want to thank you. That you've made yourself known. Thank you that you, the infinite, eternal God, took all the initiative to make yourself known to us. And thank you that you've made yourself known to us in so clear, observable, distinct ways. And we thank you for the opportunity to relate to you personally through Christ. It really is such a wonderful relationship and such a simple relationship that, as Paul described in Romans 8, the Spirit bears witness with our spirits that we're the children of God and we just cry out, Abba, Father, and We talk to you in the most familiar terms and again we're we're often really not contemplating the treasure of being able to talk to the infinite God in the most familiar terms and we just thank you again and Lord we pray that you'd use the truth to meet every need that's represented and in particular just draw us near to you as we respond in faith, as we respond in repentance and confession and as we respond we we trust by your spirit and increased loving adoration we thank you again for making yourself known to us in Jesus name we pray amen we're going to turn in our hymnals to number 83 (coughs) number 83 is Hark the Herald Angels Sing and and that first verse of Wesley's hymn captures uh, some of that uh, angelic pronouncement. The day Christ was born, peace on earth, mercy mild, God and sinners reconciled, and calls us to joy. But I want you to look at the second verse. We're going to sing them all, but the second is in particular what it captured me in reference to our text. Christ by highest heaven adored, Christ. Notice this, the everlasting Lord. Then late in time, he came in time, behold him come, offspring of a virgin's womb, veiled in flesh, all that meaty, fleshy, <laughs> right down there in Bethlehem's manger. But all of that is what the Godhead see, hail the incarnate deity, pleased as man with men to dwell Jesus, our Emmanuel. What is Emmanuel? God, God with us. That's the glory of the incarnation. Let's stand together as we sing. a cappella. Come, desire of nations, God. I do encourage you to come back, be with us here at 6 o'clock tonight. Be a wonderful time of worship and fellowship and outreach if we'll use it. And I trust we will use it and be praying and look forward to what the, the Lord has for us. We are dismissed. God bless.